You're listening to Trek FM. Riker to Captain Picard. Go ahead, number one. May I see you in the observation lounge, sir? I'll be right there. This seems to be some kind of meeting place. Some kind of meeting. Some 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 kind of meeting place. Could you want it? I don't think they're going to let us in, Artu. We'd better go. Maybe we better talk out here. The observation line has turned into a swamp. Artu, wait! Oh dear. Artu. Artu, I really don't think we should rush into all this. Oh! This is the Observation Lounge for the week of February 16th, 2013. Eat your popcorn like a man. I'm Greg Harbin. With me today is my lovely, not a co-host, Drew Stewart, the obviously TOS editor for Trek FM and and very often on the show. Well, welcome, Drew. Well, thank you, Greg. It's good to be back. Yes. And also returning is friend of the show, PopCap Games' Joey Trimmer. Hello, thanks for having me again. Yes, very, very glad to. I hopefully this will be a very a very manly podcast. <laughs> it's not often I do a show with all men. Uh-oh. But as as we'll be talking about John Moore and Die Hard Five later, you know, maybe maybe we can really gruff it up this time. I might be I, I hope grunt, podcast. Grunt like Tim Allen. <laughs> yes. Very good. I just I, I just can... worked out right before this, so I'm prepared. Oh, nice. Oh. All right. I hope you all will be leaping out of buildings while giving the middle finger during the entire podcast. In slow Very motion. I'm, In slow I'm, motion. I'm free falling right now. <laughs> Very good. So this is the Observation Lounge where we talk about the week in geeky news. The interesting things that came up during the week that we just want to talk about. And the first one on the rundown today is something of interest to at least a couple of us. I believe all of us here on the panel which is the Doctor Who 3D special that is coming out later this year. Now, you guys are both are both Whovians, is that correct? That's true. Yes. Have you, have you finished yet? Uh, Joey, Joey, I, I know not. you're in the middle of marathoning. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got uh, I think, one more season to go. Okay. So it's the, the latest, is it the latest season you haven't started yet? Like the first yes. half of season seven? Yes. That's okay, it. okay. Yeah, that that's where I was at the beginning of the year, and then I got caught up just in time to watch the Christmas special, and then have no no new Doctor Who at all. Right. So <laughs> that's that's the trouble with marathoning for sure. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I I I hit it real hard. Like I'm I'm actually a pretty pretty new to to Doctor Who, and uh, I I just burned through five seasons real quick, and then. I gotta admit, I slowed down a little bit with uh, Matt Smith there. Right. So yes. I, don't, I don't know if I'm in the minority or what there, but I like uh, this man. I will point to <laughs> Joey Trimmer, and I will I will like this man. So okay, that- so well, so, so so Smith isn't connecting with you. Is it Moffat's writing? Is it the sort of magicalness of the reboot of the reboot, or is it just that Matt Smith himself isn't working for you? You you know, it's it's funny. I I keep 
trying to figure out what it is. And, and I think I have to go back to writing because um, if I don't care about the characters, that's not necessarily the actor's fault. Um, it starts with the script. So I think that there's some issues there where I'm not connecting. You'd think, uh, I don't know how much specifics we want to talk about. I don't want to give anything away, but they, they do some really cool things that you, that sound awesome. But but it's just not paying off for me, so I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. I I I liked Smith eventually. It took me a little while to come around on him, and I miss Tenet. I mean, that's the main thing. I miss Eccleston to a large extent, and I miss Tenet a lot. The only thing I don't miss is um, a lot of the storylines that came with Tenet's time uh, with the show. Uh, I love it when Moffat was writing Tenet, like Girl in the Fireplace. Yeah, I agree. Was one of my favorite Definitely. things. So I, I I wish that show could come back, but it's just not going to. So I'm trying to get used to this. And Amy and Rory and that whole storyline took a long time right, <laughs> to settle itself out. <laughs> well, and that's that's it. It's not about the doctor. So it's about Amy and Rory. And I, perp- you know, I actually really don't care about them. So move yeah. on. Let's talk about yeah. the doctor. He's the cool guy. Yeah. Here we go. And what about I, you, I Drew? didn't like Are you... how, how Moffat ended up taking a lot of the things that he came up with during Tenet, like the Weeping Angels, and then bringing them back and then bringing them back again, but changing the rules of how they function yeah. each time. Right. It's just like you created these, you had an idea in mind, and then you, you go to the well three, two or three more times, and you're just like, oh, we've got new rules now. You know, yeah. they're not as dangerous as they once were. It's like, but they, but no, no. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely feels like it's lost that hard sci-fi edge that it had, and and it's much more wiggly wobbly. Like it always was. Like it had that element of of fun of the Doctor can just get them out of whatever scrape. But it, it seems so much more of that now that I I just I'm less worried about what's going to happen. Um, because yeah, the way that Moffat's writing is just like that. Now he is making it way more complicated with all of the the time travel stuff that's that's going on. That's true, um, yeah. Like I, I know a lot of people are, are sick and tired of River Song, but that is an interesting thing he put into the show. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm actually hoping that this will be uh this episode in three D oh, will yeah. will be really cool because uh I want to see more of the TARDIS. I feel like yes. what was it, the doctor's wife was one of the episodes in which they built all these awesome sets. It took so long in production. People were really excited. And then it kind of, the, the, the episode was awesome, but the the inside of the TARDIS sort of fell flat for me. And so I'm, maybe they can show more uh, interesting, cool stuff and take us into into the, the TARDIS itself. Yeah, I hope so. It, is the 3D, I'm, I'm looking at this, this is a BBC article that's mostly about like this whole slate of things that's been announced that they're doing this coming year. And one of them is this 3D episode that they're doing for the children in need. Um, I believe it's, it's being done as part of children in need. Um, no, no, the, that, the, the children in need reference was the oh, that's 30th for anniversary when it was done special. 30th anniversary. I think okay. they're making the 50th anniversary special that they've been talking about this big thing. Right. I'm not sure if they're bringing back past doctors, but this is the time that they would do that time. Ha <laughs> ha. But, but it sounds like, I don't know if they're filming it in 3d or converting right. it to 3d, but I'm scared. <laughs> because I've seen the budget that they give Doctor Who, and you know, twenty dollars doesn't buy much in the makeup that they use, 
and when they get twenty five dollars and now it's in three D, <laughs> I I've just I'm afraid of it's just gonna be oh, oh it's poking yeah. out at you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and like are we gonna is it gonna be broadcast in like red and blue cyan or what, oh, whatever it so. is. So we have to get glasses and and that, that never looks great. I, I don't know. The the idea of having Doctor Who in three D doesn't hugely excite me. What does excite me about what Joey's talking about, where we've got an episode entirely set in the TARDIS. And it's sort of like a bottle show, but because the TARDIS is so expansive, we get to see all these little bits and pieces. That's that's really exciting to me. The the 3D, especially doing 3D on broadcast TV, really feels like a gimmick. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, they've not announced how they're going to show it in 3D. Right. Like, are they going to set aside a 3D feed? Is it going to be red and blue? Is it is it just going to be 3D when it's on Blu-ray? And, you know, we're just going right. to see it in 2D. How are they going to stream it? Like, there's there's a lot of questions yeah. that they haven't answered that I honestly don't think they've thought about yet. It's possible. Because like, 3D is the big yeah. thing. That just seems right. like that's what they're going to run with. And I, I, I love 3D. I, I would almost subscribe to cable. I've talked about this on Twitter. Almost subscribe to cable to get, like, ESPN 3D to see those amazing, you know, sports visuals shot in native 3D, you know, not done with red and blue glasses, but just right there on your TV. But I, I don't know how I would watch Doctor Who that way. There's there's not a BBC America 3D channel that I know of. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, it's funny. Last year at E3, everything was 3D, 3D, 3D. And then this year, there was hardly anything. So do people, enough people have 3D sets even to, to watch a broadcast stream yeah. of that? I don't, yeah. I doubt it. I don't it's know. It's really... Yeah, it's really odd to me. I mean, at the very least, yes, I will get the Blu-ray eventually. That'll be in 3D. Uh, that's where I'm actually kind of more excited about 3D at this point is either going to see a movie or watching the Blu-ray. Like I watched Dread in 3D. That was really great. Um, I just saw they did a conversion of iRobot, that Will mm -hmm. Smith movie. They converted it to 3D just for the Blu-ray, <laughs> which is kind of astonishing to me. I didn't want to see that in 2D, though. <laughs> yeah. It was fun. Kind of. It's, it's, a, it's a fun little film. It'd be worth looking at it again now that it's in 3D, and I think that that's their idea. Um, I, I like it, but I, I'm worried about Doctor Who and, and the idea of, oh, let's do this big gimmicky thing. But uh, like we said, they did it 20 years ago for the 30th anniversary. So it, it's somewhat of a tradition of sorts. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Did anything else on this list of, of BBC announcements pop out at you guys? There's a new show about Atlantis. Um, there's a Pride and Prejudice sequel show coming out. Uh, Mr. Darcy's Revenge. <laughs> well, it's called, it's, what, what is it called? Death Comes to Pemberley, which I, I thought oh, that was a Kids in the Hall TV movie, but I, I guess <laughs> I'm getting it confused with something else. Um, there's a Helena Bonham Carter, Dominic West movie about Elizabeth Burton, or Elizabeth Taylor, and uh, what's his name? Richard Burton. Oh. No, is, is any of this exciting you? No? Okay. Call well, the Midwife? From, there's there's more Call the Midwife coming. Oh. No, I'm not familiar with any of that <laughs> enough to, to form an opinion. Yes. <laughs> Sounds great. The one I am I am excited about is is Atlantis, which is um, being written by the same guy who wrote uh, Misfits, which is a, a really fantastic British show, sort of the British version of Heroes, 
And if people haven't seen Misfits, they really should check out at least the really excellent first season of that. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think I watched a, f- a few episodes of that actually. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so that that's the BBC. Uh, still remains to be seen anything about the new season of Doctor Who starting soon. So I'm sure you can look forward to us talking ad nauseum about it in the future. But yes. next on our rundown. Drew, do you want to take away talking a little bit about uh, EA and the next generation consoles? Well, it it looks like um, it, it's it's that time again. It's time for us all to have finally got settled down with our systems of choice, and and then just to find that everything we know is wrong. And <laughs> you think it looks good now? It could look better. And uh, EA just announced their plans on. Uh, what they're what they're planning on doing, and basically they're planning on uh, milking all of their franchises, <laughs> uh, but just in the next generation. Oh um, well, yeah, that, that's basically it. Like this is the first official word we've gotten that that we will be seeing new consoles later this year. Like it's been rumors, but this is um, I need to remember his name, uh, Ricket John Ricatello, talking about. You know what they're calling Generation Four, which is the next generation of consoles: the Xbox Three, the PlayStation Four, the not even Wii the Wii U. U. The Wii, the Wii U's <laughs> last generation. Well, it's it's kind of current generation. I, I don't know the Wii the Wii U. We we can talk about on a future show. <laughs> <laughs> but but this Generation Four is is really exciting, and the fact that it's coming later on this year. I mean I mean I'm super excited. Joey, are you? Are you a console user at all? I am. Um, <clears throat> admittedly, these days I, I play a lot of mobile games um, and online games, but uh, I I have an Xbox and I love it. Um, mm-hmm. I I'm not interested in the in the PlayStation anymore. Uh, yeah, I I have a hard time with next gen console ideas in general because everybody tries to kind of rework like let's just take it out from a like a different angle and everything's 3d now or everything's projection based or whatever and really the tried and true plug a console into a tv is what most people want from a console and these days as long as the hardware is better then it's it's mostly like through the cloud and stuff like that so save games as long as they can play nicely with yeah with um, you know, a friend's console or something like that. That's really, there's very basic needs that people want, gamers want. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I always take these kinds of things with, you know, very small grains of salt here. I just don't think um, it interests me as much, but mm-hmm. if if they can come out and blow everybody out of the water, that would be cool to see. Yeah. Did Did you run out and buy a 360 when it first came out eight eight years ago? <laughs> I, I was a little late to that actually um i had a lot of friends who who had it and um uh and i was still trying to decide do i want do i want to go the the playstation route or the xbox route after a while um and it turned out i i didn't really care for blu-ray as much early on i was i i started slowing down my immediately rushing out and buying the newest thing because mm-hmm. i learned like dvd became obsolete when hd dvd came out and I, you know, rushed and bought all that stuff, and then Blu-ray came out, and that was the next big thing. And I just got tired. I wanted everybody to fight their own wars and let me know yeah. when they're done. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> so yeah, but I but I did eventually get it, and uh, it's it's a great console. Yeah, I, I love the 360. I had one for a while. Um, then I moved to Japan, sold it. When I came back, I got the PlayStation mainly because of the Blu-ray. But I find myself missing a lot of those games, and I really miss the Xbox Live and all of those features. Uh, yeah. What about you, Drew? Do you do? I know you game. Do you console game? Yeah. Um, I I enjoy uh, my 360. Uh, we got it after Halo Three came out, mm, or yeah. before, right before Halo Three came out. Um, we we finally got one, and I mean, it served us well. I mean, it did red ring once, and we had to get it fixed. Happened to mine too. But, yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year, we got the Connect, and so now we yell at our our TV a lot, which is fun. <laughs> or just sit perfectly still and watch it rewind for no reason. That that's pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I I enjoy playing console games. Uh, the issue being that it, it takes up you know the the whole TV, and yeah. um, there just aren't that many games out there. Uh, my wife and I do everything together. And so if there's if it's not like co-op multiplayer kind of thing, we really have no use for it. And I don't know if it's the age or what, but we got Halo 4, uh, you know, like last month, finally. And we played it and beat it. And we're just like, huh. Mm. Well, that that's it. We have no no, you know, want to play online multiplayer anymore. It just we we like co-op and we like doing it. It's just not. It's not high on our priority list anymore. Now we now we use the 360 for streaming all of our right. our Amazon Prime and our our Netflix and our Hulu and our YouTube. It, it's our it's our entertainment console. And right. I I mean we pay Xbox Live just to have that convenience, which is fine by me. I don't see myself jumping into the next generation yet, unless it streams more better but i don't see that being <laughs> right. possible so i think i'll be happy with my 360 for a while yet and that's the thing for a lot of people who just have it as their entertainment system i don't know what the new system is going to bring i mean I, I run down like mentally a list of features like okay 1080p 60 frames per second 3d that's just you know really beautiful um i could yes that's like something they could just tack on like i tried playing resistance 3 in 3d and it looks awful um, well, like co-op that you can't even play in 3D, and then the the single player in 3D. Well, it doesn't look awful, but it just could look so much better uh, compared to the game not in 3D. But you know, if you don't care about 3D, that doesn't matter to you. And if yeah, if you're really just using it for streaming, I, I don't see what the big deal is at all. Yeah, Drew, that's and a really good point. It's it's uh, our consoles have become our media centers uh, for most people, at least, and so. To replace our console requires more than just the next-gen gaming system. So it really mm -hmm. has to be a fully integrated media device that 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 hooks into with all the other services that we have: Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, and you know anything else. But yeah, and 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 save for the faster 3D stuff, I think that the graphics have reached. Of course, I've, I've thought this every generation <laughs> that graphics have reached a pinnacle. I mean, I remember, you know, Gran Turismo on the PlayStation 1 was the greatest looking game I'd ever seen. And yeah. then, you know, Gran Turismo 3 for the PlayStation 2 was the greatest looking game I'd ever seen. And now, you know, we're we're generations beyond that. But I think we've reached a plateau where any better and maybe we'll be hitting this uncanny valley. Um, 
I think the I'm, next I'm gen, sure. the next gen console, is you put in a, a copy of Modern Warfare eleven thousand or 12. whatever it is, and yeah. <laughs> and then somebody just rushes in the room and punches you in the face. <laughs> full integration. <laughs> nice. That's perfect. That's my theory. Well, <laughs> so, well, Joey, I mean, what will what will get you to run out and buy an Xbox Three? If you're if you're happy with your 360 right now, uh, well, you know, it's actually just probably just better hardware, and uh, and um, if I can play my games easier across other dev- other um, consoles and things like that, but it's it's a tough sell right now. I'm I'm pretty yeah. happy with with my system, so um, I don't know. I I guess uh inevitably with the, the xbox runs pretty hard and it it can burn out um heat mm-hmm. up really quickly so if those kinds of things were fixed and it was cost effective that would be a worthy purchase because it's something that i'm going to use for another eight years right i could see myself buying a new one because only because i'm still running on what's technically a launch console like i don't have hdmi and i have a 20 gig hard drive like right. i'm limited and yeah. I've been trying to, and it's loud, and I've been trying to push for a slim or something, you know, whatever the smaller Xbox is called. Yeah. Oh, the slim but, PlayStation you know, once the three is great. Comes out, yeah, compared then, to the original just... gigantic one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once once the three comes out, then then the three sixties, you know, the the new versions of them with the HDMI and two hundred fifty gig hard drives will be super cheap. So. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the new generation being released so I can get the last generation cheaper. <laughs> well, there you go. But I think you bring a big point, a good point about the, the hard drive in there. You know, if the new one has a solid state drive inside and you're playing the games right off of it so load times are way better, that's going to be that's gonna be a huge thing. They're going to be able to say, look, you're going to be able to do this entire world, you know, Mass Effect 4 or whatever they're going to call it, no load times at all. That That would be really impressive really great feature yeah that kind of goes into the the other part of that article with the used games too um the used game market um which i don't know uh for me i have my my opinion on 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 that I, i'm I'm kind of tired of buying retail but yeah. uh so so bigger bigger hard drives means more more capacity more more games that i could store locally um yeah. or or pull from the cloud when i need you know, and so sort of segmented streaming or something. Yeah, it, it was interesting what Riccatello says in this article. He sort of speaks to both arguments about the used game market. You know, one of them is that obviously people are buying used games and that money's not going to the publishers. But the other side of it is people are turning in their, their games and they have cash to go buy other games. And mm-hmm. both sides seems to be thing people are talking about. No one can really decide whether used games are killing the industry or keeping them going. Um, just speaking for myself, what I see Rigatello saying mostly is he doesn't want to offend GameStop because GameStop is so important for the business. You know, we need to have that retail presence, a dedicated game store. People go there, they they learn about games, they buy games. We don't want them to die. We don't want them to be mad at us. That that's what I get out of this. Um, I I personally don't like pre-owned games that much. I I feel like, you know, you're not getting that much cheaper games. They're scratched often, 
And I don't like the fact that the money doesn't go right to the game maker. It, it doesn't go to them at all. I, I, I really would prefer to buy either new games or do a download. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But on the other, you know, another side of that is that it could potentially get someone into a new franchise that they are, you know, came late into. And so, for example, mm -hmm. Halo is so expansive now. Where do you start? Well, maybe from the beginning. Why don't you borrow my copy and see if you like it? And if you like it, you can buy the next version. Um, yeah. I think it depends on the gamer. And I know people who uh, who work at those, those you know, GameStops and stuff like that. And um, there's a different kind of gamer who just constantly comes in and, and exchanges their old for new games. And that money does go to the publishers. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I just... I, 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 Good. I, I've just I've just been thinking just for the last couple of years, and I, I've thought this about all media, you know, you can be the most popular band, you know, the most popular local band in in Seattle, but you you've sold a hundred albums, you know, like, and that's what the label is going to look at is like, well, how many albums have you sold? A hundred, but you know, hundreds of thousands of people have our CD. Well, you can't prove that. You've only sold 100 albums. Right, yeah. And I uh, that's just something that's that's my one of my anti-piracy arguments. Yeah. Is that, you know, you're killing the industry with piracy, but but it's the same kind of thing with with used games, I feel like if Grand Theft Auto 5 is really good, then the publisher and the and the and the developer and the and the guy who sweeps up the trash at the end of the day, you know, because that developer's in business, he has a job because you bought a copy and, yeah. and all of your friends bought copies and that you're not, you know, like, oh, I'm done with this game. I sold it to GameStop. Why don't you buy it from GameStop? Give them another $40 off, you know, above the $20 they already made on selling you the game in the first place instead of that money going to them. I do think sixty dollars is too high of a price point. I still think that that we should lower it back down to fifty or or even to forty, if we're going to push for this no used games policy. I think, and I think publishers can be a lot more price sensitive. You know, you know, when when someone does a Steam sale and suddenly, you know, Torchlight Two is ten dollars. You know, Plants vs Zombies is five dollars. People just snap it up, even if they're not planning on playing it right then, and all of that money goes right to the publisher. Whereas sometimes, you know, it, it's a little bit harder just to go into the into Target and snatch up a sale like that. Digital download can make that a lot better and can, can work with a lot of that price fluidity, price fluidity, Joey, that you're talking about. Where someone wants, just wants to play Halo 1 and doesn't want to spend $50 to play such an old game. Well, I think um, to your point about, you know, Steam having a sale... Not all of that money does go to the publishers. That's licensed IP. Okay. Um, okay. So, uh, and I, I, you know, that's not my forte. So I, I, I don't want to get anything wrong in that. But, but I know that there's some some wiggle room there, and uh, I think that's why there's this big thing in the game industry with how do we monetize within our game? All we have to do is get a game in somebody's hands, and then we can monetize additionally with whether it's through map packs or or skins or um, even other sort of connectivity like in-game currency or something like that. And and nobody has the answer to this. Um, it's all experimental right now, and it I think it proves it's your point, true that 
those numbers are important and and when people buy those those games they are supporting the publisher and all the people within that company and they're well aware of where they're where they're losing the money i guess so yeah. it's 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 interesting so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what the new console does you know we, we got the news or the rumor i guess i know you love rumors that uh the xbox 3 will be always on it'll you know you'll have to be connected to the internet to play your games because they won't allow a used market at all and i i don't know if that's the even connect gonna... will be built in like i see a lot of people complaining right. about that like oh yeah. the connect will be always on too which might be nice. You know, I, I, I do want to yell at my Xbox, Xbox, turn on, <laughs> but nothing happens. Xbox, the Connect is always listening to your conversations, just trying to find out if you're even thinking about trading in any used games <laughs> at any time. <laughs> <laughs> well, like somebody on Twitter mentioned uh, the other day, is this the computer and the Enterprise always listening in on your conversation, <laughs> ready, waiting for you to, to ready to jump in? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it is, yes. I. That's pretty much how it works. It's also apparently watching you at all times, as we learn in the uh, Enterprise finale. And so I, I don't know that that, that computer is creepy. Every hour, the new gen, next gen console will play patriotic music, uh, and we all must <laughs> stand at attention. <laughs> I think I read that somewhere. Nice. Okay. Well. Okay. So so that that's us on on next gen consoles. The next thing is something I was really su surprised about happened um i believe just a couple days ago as we're recording it and that's the meteor that either exploded or didn't explode in the sky above russia it apparently caused a huge shockwave new york daily news says it's it was the force of about like a hundred hiroshima bombs something like that i know we always because we know what hiroshima <laughs> was like we can just imagine easily what hundred hiroshimas was like and then imagine that 15 miles in the air. You've got it, right? You, you fully it. comprehended? Okay. But, it, I mean, it did damage. It, it it blew apart a couple buildings. It injured hundreds of people. Um, as The Onion says, um, there's an Onion article this week, thousands of people killed in really amazing thing that happened. Guys, you got to <laughs> see this video. But the video is, yes, the video is awesome. You guys, you guys saw? I mean, come on. I did. I uh, I was I, I read about it uh, at night, and I saw a couple of uh, YouTube videos, and I immediately uh, told my girlfriend, um, "Oh my God, you got to check this out! This, this meteorite hit Russia," and she's like, "Oh wow, cool! Like that's interesting. Yeah, like a falling star kind of thing. Like no big deal, right?" And I had the same experience when I was telling my coworkers. No, you have to see this video. It looks like Armageddon. It looks yeah. like this is the end of the world. This is it's huge as it burns up or explodes, whatever it does. Yeah. Yeah. It it's it's scary sometimes. You 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 can read an article or, or hear about something from someone and not fully grasp things. I mean, not to be a downer, but um uh when I was in college we were at a, a big assembly and uh, a professor said a plane hit the World Trade Center. Yeah. And I thought, oh, we're sad for the commuter plane, you know, the five people that crashed into the World Trade Center and died. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't for hours later that somebody turned mm. on a TV and there was nothing. Right. There was just ash. I'm like, oh, a plane hit the world. Oh. Oh. Right. 
and yeah. and this is this may be the same kind of thing like oh cute little meteor you know like you see on you know maybe on on et or whatever personally right. i th- i think it's probably the intensity of 20 hiroshima bombs not 30 they're a little crazy there <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you numbers are off <laughs> well one weird thing about this is it it was so recorded you know there's so much insurance fraud in russia that everybody has these dashboard cameras so we have hundreds and hundreds of videos it seems like of people who just happen to be driving in the direction of the meteor I'm so, so glad it, insurance fraud is so horrible over there. <laughs> I know. I mean, if it happened in America, people, I guess, would have had their their cell phones still, so they could have shot videos. Um, but I mean, there was the there was the one that hit again. Russia hit Tugansa, Siberia, in what 1908, and it it was over an uninhabited area, and it but it flattened a whole bunch of trees. Would have caused a ton of damage. You know, this thing just this just happens sometimes. You know. Meteors, even if they don't hit the Earth, can cause a huge amount of damage. Um, there's also the the other meteor that was flying past us the next the day. The same day, yeah. Which apparently scientists say they're completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. Because one was going one direction, the other was going the other direction. I, I, That seems an awful big coincidence. But just the idea that we had two meteor scares the same day, I, I am starting to get a little freaked out. Here's here's my favorite stat for you to sleep soundly on. Uh <laughs> that that big meteor or asteroid that was flying uh past Earth that could have just destroyed Earth essentially that was within 20,000 miles. There are 500,000 of those in our solar system, but we only know where 1% of them are. <laughs> so yeah sweet dreams <laughs> yeah what's what's really funny is the training that i'm doing uh to get my certification for for uh my job it, one of the jokes that they were talking about because it's all about like risk managing risk and 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 finding out where you should spend money there's always a chance that and and this is what he used you, you there's always a chance that a meteor will hit your building and wipe it out but are you going to invest a whole bunch of money in a meteor shield I mean, and so I'm listening to, you know, I'm watching this training, and he keeps bringing up the meteor shield, and, and now all of a sudden I'm like, I may want to invest in a meteor <laughs> shield. <laughs> well, th- there's an article, and I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately, but it's by an astronaut who is involved in a not-for-profit not organization that is kind of what SpaceX is doing for space exploration. They're doing for asteroid and meteor detection. So they're working on getting, you know, um, basically cameras out in space, you know, in orbit that can pinpoint more of those asteroids so we know whether or not they're coming. Because what he says is we have the technology, if we know a couple decades in advance that there's a huge asteroid coming for us, we can kick it into gear and deflect it. We could send Bruce Willis into space <laughs> with with Ben Affleck to blow it up. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, but the the academy but, would yeah. still uh, would still uh, <laughs> not recognize Ben Affleck. <laughs> still wouldn't. No. <laughs> Full yeah. circle. Oh my goodness! But so he was saying, you know, we don't know about enough of these, and we're working on it. We're working on it. But he's t- saying, you know, how important it is that we, you know, see them coming. So uh, hopefully we can be less worried about this. I'm, you know, both of these hit Russia, so that's fine. You know, I'm not in Russia, but the next meteor might not be in Russia. It might be 
you know, over no, some Russia covers covers a lot of space. That's, that's what true. That it's, it's, some people it's... were complaining. You know, why is it always Russia? Because Russia's huge. Yeah, it's hard not to hit Russia. Honestly, have you ever tried? Like, you keep throwing meteors at Earth. Just keep hitting Russia. You're not even trying. I'm I'm disappointed that it didn't accidentally hit North Korea. I mean, that would have been the perfect cover. <laughs> yeah, just I being know. like, oh crap, meteors! Hurry, hurry, shoot at North Korea. <laughs> oh, it was a oh. meteor. It blew up the whole country. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, goodness, goodness. Okay, well, so that's that's the Russian meteor. Uh, the next one, uh, speaking of, of wars, is this crazy thing that happened between Tesla and the New York Times this week. Were you guys following this story as it developed? Uh, a little bit. I, I think I was a couple days behind for each step, but I found it to be pretty funny. It's crazy. Well, I, so I read the original article, and I was blown away that this New York Times reporter was given a Tesla Model S to drive, you know, basically as far as the Model S can drive, you know, basically as a test to show, hey, look what the Model S can do. And it turned out that it was the same weekend that temperatures were really, really low. He said he had so much trouble. Um, it didn't have the range it said it had. He got terrible advice from technical support. Um, and he, he thought he was going to, you know, be lost in the wilderness in sub-zero temperatures several times. Eventually, he had to get a tow truck. So that was that story <laughs> in the New York Times. And then the Tesla CEO, Raymond Musk, comes out. Raymond El Elton Musk comes out and says, we looked at the data, and it shows, you know, he did A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. He just kept running down a list <laughs> of all the things that the New York Times reporter had done wrong. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, this guy must just be a fraud and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I don't know. But now the John Broder from New York Times comes back and he says, no, that's wrong. You made that up. Like one of the things Musk said is instead of plugging in immediately when he reached the station, he drove around in, you know, in a parking in, in, lot, in a parking <laughs> lot saying, he, saying that the guy was trying to drain the battery. And what Broder said is, uh, no, I was trying to find your plug because it's not lit up and I couldn't find it, uh, which is a completely different story. And, and to accuse a New York Times reporter of trying to drain your battery, that, that's, that's, pretty, that's a pretty um, stark accusation to make. And yeah, it, it's, it's a crazy story. And the fact that they just keep throwing things back and, back and forth at each other, I'm not entirely sure what to believe at this point. I haven't been following it too closely, but I'm just super impressed with how much tracking data they actually have on this car. Oh, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's a little frightening, actually, how much information they know. Well, they do say that they only that car only provides that to them. You know, they only turn it on with written permission. Right. Uh, or uh, they do say in the case of media, they say, look, we're going to have this on because there was a case of Top Gear. I haven't actually gone yeah. back and watched the Top Gear yet, but apparently the same sort of thing happened where they made a whole bunch of claims about the Tesla that Tesla came back and said, no, you weren't making that up, but we don't have the tracking data, so we, we can't prove it. Right. Uh, now they can prove it, but they, it still appears there's some issues. I, I read about the Top Gear thing, and apparently what they did was they said, you know, and it can run out of battery, and then it showed a video of them pushing the car. But yeah. the car was fine. They were just trying to make a point that the battery can die. Right. 
but Oof. that but and, as and, a but, viewer but Tesla you think was just like Burr. yeah well but it, you think but it died they, on them yeah right so they were they were sort of alluding to the fact that they ran out of batteries but i don't know yeah well what it, i liked is 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 this guy said that uh, the the test driver was just like you know i averaged 45 miles per hour which said you know i should get this many miles but then like the statistics show he was running like 80 right for like an hour it's like wait a minute but now i don't know if i should believe that because he said so many other things that weren't that weren't exactly true um and what broder says is no he only accelerated to 80 you know he was like passing somebody on the freeway yeah, I, I, it's hard. The the one thing it, I definitely can tell is it does appear that Broder was given really, really bad instructions by Tesla's tech support. Like they called in, he called in and said, like, what can I do? I'm this far out. Look at my car. Tell me what to do. And they were giving him some bizarre advice, like vary your speed, like don't use cruise control, go try going a little bit slower, a little bit faster. Um, and they were they were telling him not to use the the heater when it was really really cold outside. Uh, apparently, they told him to only charge it for a limited amount of time, rather than letting it get to a full charge. You you mm. think they'd be better? Aren't there only like twelve Teslas <laughs> in the world? <laughs> right. You think it's... their technical support wouldn't be trying to brush him off? Yeah, I'm writing for the New York Times. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna have terrible, terrible things to say if you don't help me. Yeah. Have you tried turning off the car and turning it back on? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like, how about have the CEO on a direct line with him, just in case he has exactly. any problems at all? <laughs> I mean, this isn't just anybody test driving the car. This this article is so important. They they really should have paid more attention to it. Made sure that his experience was good. I think there that's the real been a story. Tesla person with him. Well, the CEO should have been in the car with him the whole time, telling him about the car and how cool it is. And... Just throwing money in his face. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> isn't this a great car? Money. It is well, impressive that an electric car could go eighty miles an hour, isn't it? I'm impressed by yeah. that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, he talked about the experience uh, of just you know put the key fob in and go. Like there's no like turning the engine to turn it on. It just goes once it's able to. And the fact that it goes 0 to 60 really fast, the Model S. Have you guys seen one of these in person? No. It is a no. beautiful car. There's one of them in Capitol Hill. Um, Joey, if you just wander around long enough, you'll you'll run into it. <laughs> awesome. It is a, it is a it, beautiful car. It will run car. into you. You won't be yeah, able to hear it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, does this, does this lower your opinion of Tesla, knowing that, you know, either the car has weird idiosyncrasies in idiosyncrasies their technical support is bad their ceo is a jackass does any of this make you think less of them i think the the big bummer is is not whether or not i think less of it is it's just more about the electric car industry itself and the more bad press it gets the 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 less people focus on it as a realistic um future i suppose so yeah. um i i just really want it to succeed and i'm i'm interested about it but i i don't really care for this drama and this back and forth like maybe some of these points are right and some of them are wrong if they knew that this guy was driving around in circles and he really was driving around in circles they just got the the reason wrong well we can yeah. fix that you know we could put lights on mm -hmm. these outlets and things like that let's focus on like the the workable things so yeah 
Yeah, I, so I don't know. I, I still want one of these. And I, as I say, I hate, as you say, I hate that it's sort of coming as a PR blow for them. And I, it, it seems like they should be doing so much more to be furthering their cause. You know, they're not just a normal car company. Public opinion does really matter for their future. So if people start thinking, oh, they're just this stupid company that doesn't know what they're doing and the cars don't really work that well, you know, that's the sort of thing that can never work out for them and, and make it to the get 300 miles per charge. You know, that's still impressive that it can get to that speed. I mean, even if I have to stop every, you know, two or three hours and, and you know, plug in for five dollars. Right. That's immediately saving you money. Right. Okay, well, moving on to the next thing on the rundown, I did want to talk a little bit about this article about a Good Day to Die Hard director, John Moore, um, who was speaking about the movie. Now, I saw it this weekend. Joey, I believe you also saw it. Yes, I did. Yes. Now, did you did you enjoy the film? Uh, my official review is Yippee Kai, yay! <laughs> right. That, that no, that's pretty. That's pretty spot on. It's a it's a fun action movie. There's there's amazing stunts. They're they're hard to see sometimes. I, I'm pretty sure that um, half the film was was Les Mis. The other half was uh, the Hunger Games. Um, <laughs> it's really hard to see anything. Just stick a camera like in one place and let's just see the stunt, please. I don't yeah. know. Is that is that so hard? I, no, because I watched Ghost Protocol tonight, and you know what? I could tell what was going on the entire movie. Mm. Except for the sandstorm, but I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to tell what's going right. on. Right. Because yes. it's a sandstorm. So right. you had you had trouble like look like with the action shots then. You you couldn't make out what was going on? That's interesting. Well it in I mean it, I could tell kind of what was happening, but there were there were moments where I was just like moving my head around just trying to keep up with what was happening. I, I felt like some of the more amazing stunts, we just couldn't really see what was happening for it. It, it got better near the end. My, the biggest problem for me was that car chase near the beginning, where it just the whole thing was just like close-ups on the car bumpers, and I just felt really lost and had no sense of direction in it. How how close were you sitting? Pretty pretty close. I mean, okay. I wasn't wasn't far back. I was, but I like to sort of have my field of view enveloped when it's a when it's a really good film that pulls me in. That works better for me, but for this one, no, I feel like I would have been better served pulling back. Like um, film like *The Bourne Ultimatum*, I think is better on a smaller screen because you can oh, sort of get the sense of of what's going on better. Maybe they should have filmed it in 48 frames per second. <laughs> well, this is true. Like if we can see, like those crazier camera moves are almost better at 48 frames because we can see what's happening. Um, there are a lot of cameras in the Hobbit that don't work as well with yeah. the lower frame rate. So, but yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I think that, um, uh, I, I have the same exact problem and I, I preempt that by sitting far back in these kinds of movies. Mm. Um, I, I learned my lesson with transformers and I'll, I'll I'm just, that's where <laughs> I sit now. I'm way back there, but, right. um, I, I really absolutely love this. And I, I, I caught a few, I just kind of skimmed a few reviews before watching it, and I didn't unfortunately read this article that you're talking about. But um, the the reviews seemed like sort of overwhelmingly negative and critic critical yeah. of it. And and really, what do we expect from John McClane these days? Like, what 
I mean, we're seeing a Die Hard movie, the fifth installment. We know what's going to happen. We know. That's why we see them. Which is why I was here all weekend. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Like, if, if, if you're not in the thought. mood for a big, explosion-y John McClane movie, don't go see it. If you are, go see it. You'll probably have a lot of fun. And, and that's a lot of what John Moore talks about is, like, he says, John McClane, yeah, he'll jump out of a building and get back up. That's what he does. He's just going to do that. And, nah. you know, if you don't like it, this this is not the movie you should be watching. And I did I did get that that feeling. You know, I liked the last Die Hard movie. You know, it's not Die Hard 1. That was a special right. thing. We're not going to get that again. And, and don't mm-hmm. expect it. What, what threw me off about this article is John Moore talking about manliness and how we've we've lost manliness in america and he wanted to make a, a movie that brought back manliness um can, can i do a dramatic reading of it oh go for it please <clears throat> but maybe even more than the genre maybe it's the men themselves i think there's a curious failure of manliness in america a curious failure of manhood and strength and honor and prowess no offense to the hemsworths and whatever but maybe plenty of offense to them. I had to go to effing Australia and find Jal Courtney to find an actor big enough, presence enough, to be the son of John McLean. So they think there's almost an angry nostalgia. A gee damn it, give me the effing hamburger. I'm sick of this effing soy thing. I'm sick of this Facebook of it all. The word tweet is not manly, I'm sorry. And Thor's looking pretty lame now with his hammer because we got John McLean. So eff yeah, he'll jump out of the building and it's silly, but yeah, he'll get up. <laughs> it's sort Which, of beautiful and offensive all rolled into one it's yeah it's like so awful it's like that hashtag why did he like, start attacking thor that's i know I'm not understanding i he's like i'm gonna compare this to the superhero movie no 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 thor's a demigod you know yeah like, you can't say well thor gets up thor's a comic well, book character well then he complains about skyfall he hated the ejector seat joke in skyfall like he he got legitimately horrified that they referenced an earlier film in Skyfall. It's like Skyfall is a really, really good film. And if you can't recognize that. I don't think he understood that, that. I don't think he did. Yeah. So it's, it's odd to me. Like, okay, yes, you want somebody who, who believes in, you know, the strength of Bruce Willis as a force of nature. Like, that's great. Like put him in the director's seat. You don't want someone who's going to try to, who's going to try to make him a smaller character who make, who's going to you know, try to do something smaller than life. You want somebody who's just going to be out there and like, yeah, explosions, boom, boom, boom. Uh, but this guy, I mean, he's taking it a bit far, like attacking everything in his path. Well, and this, to is, say, yeah. this is a movie about men who don't hug their kids. Mm, is that, yeah. is that the kind of America? We, I mean, yeah, I guess don't hug other people's kids or something maybe but you can <laughs> hug your own kids i think that's okay you could be a big man and still hug your kids and just you know i, I don't know i yeah. just i'm i'm of the opinion i mean in order to do the most justice to the john McClane character we need to leave him alone that that's that's the opinion i'm getting now with a lot of these you know 20 year on sequels and stuff is you know you want to honor indiana jones stop it just stop just just <laughs> we've got the movies We've yeah. got the perfect movies. We had the perfect Die Hard movie. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And then and then we got two mediocre ones and let's try again. It's like no, let's the John McClane I had do, his moment. 
I do think it went in full circle though. This is the this is just the candy to the diehard fan. Yeah. The original diehard. And this is just everything that you wanted without substance. Just have fun. Eat your popcorn as hard and manly as you can. And <laughs> <laughs> And that's it. No, right. No, I, I, I'm with you on that. Like, it's it's not supposed to be a fantastic movie. It's just supposed to be a fun movie. I, I think Moore goes a little far in his comments. I, I like the movie a lot better than what he has to say about it. Honestly, um, I, I don't really, I don't really get what he's saying out of the film that much. You know, the times when I I was liking the movie a lot was when it was not trying to be quite so macho. You know, when it was speaking to the emotions of the characters. Well, the uh, first movie is about him saving his ex-wife. This guy loves, <laughs> like, it's not really yeah. about him punching glass or something, you know? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I think he's yeah. he's going a little too far, but it's a really yeah. fun movie still. Oh, it is. Yes, I, I'd recommend, you know, if people like explosion shoot 'em up movies, go see Die Hard 5. It's going to be more fun than than a movie that isn't, I don't know. There's a lot of movies like this that take themselves too seriously or have leads that aren't as great as Bruce Willis. So go see this one. This is, you know, probably the best example of the sort of movie you'll see this year. So just enjoy it and, and ignore the director. He's, he's a jackass. It's fine. All right. So I'll, we, I'll we've reached home video. We're reaching about the end. I, I, it is the time of the show to do our staff picks in what we call the staff meeting. Um, we are being chased down by Benedict Cumberbatch, who keeps morphing into different versions of himself. Um, he was Sherlock. Now he's in a dress. Um, now he's um, he appears to be Julian Assange at the moment. So I'm not really sure what to do. Um, but in order to scare him away, uh, Drew, what what do you have for us? That uh, well, yes, I I uh, I I went back back into the depths of my past i figured since it was just us guys and we were talking a bunch of video games that that i would bring up my my favorite video game that will never be unseated link to the past legend Ah. of zelda super nintendo link to the past i like for every nintendo system that i would buy i would buy the remake of it like i had it for for game boy advance the fact that there's not one on the 3ds makes me weepy I understand that if I bought a Wii, I could buy it, and that would be the only reason I'd buy a Wii is to is to play Link to the Past again. It used to be a, a used to be like a yearly tradition. I would just play yep. through Link to the Past. It's, I think it's it's got just the right amount of puzzles. It's got it's the right length. Um, it's fun to pick up and play, and even if you you play it every year, there's still things you'd just be like, oh, you know, that that you may have forgotten about. And uh, the the ending still makes me a little weepy. <laughs> and I would Are... give anything for a three D ish remake. Like yeah. I want, I want the same game but with better graphics. You know, maybe poking out at me or whatever. If that's what it takes to play it on the three DS, <laughs> I will make that sacrifice. Maybe a link to the future is what they should release. Ooh, days yeah. of a link to days of future past. There you go. There you go. Okay, so Joey, what do you have for us that can scare off Bandit Cumberbatch, who does appear to be dressed as Khan, not Khan from the new movie, but dressed as Ricardo Montalban from Wrath from <laughs> Wrath of Khan? Uh, I'm not what? sure what's going on there, but please go on. <laughs> 
I think the only thing that could scare Benedict Cumberpatch, the most silliest name in the world, <laughs> is a creeper from Minecraft. Ooh, which is ooh. my I keep coming back to it because it's just so fun. It's so good. I, I just today hooked up my own private server so ooh. I can uh, can whitelist you guys if you want to play. But uh, yeah, it's, I, it's a I'm blast. In. Yeah, in. it is so fun. So I've, I've I I can't stop because you can literally do anything. So I'm I'm I've played all the games with storylines that I liked. I'm done with that. I'm done monetizing on Facebook. <laughs> I'm done touch screening my words with friends. Mm. I'm playing Minecraft and scaring I, I, Benedict I, Cumberpatch. I, I really do need to check that out at some point. Okay. Well, Benedict does appear to now be dressed as Carol Marcus. I don't know what's up with that. Um, but I, I'm going to have to pick uh, Skylanders, guys. I don't know if you guys know Skylanders. It's great. Guy. But... Yeah, for the last week or so, that's what I've been doing. You know, Drew was talking about couch co-op with his wife. You know, Catherine and I have been doing couch co-op with Skylanders. It's fantastic. We have about seven or eight. I've lost track, and that's a piece. So <laughs> we keep going back for more. If you guys don't know, it, it's kind of like Diablo for kids. You know, it, it's run okay. around, find loot, defeat bad guys. It's one of those completionist games where you're going to want to go through and complete all of the quests, do everything, everything. Um, and there's a new version coming out later this year that looks to have better graphics, some more interesting gameplay mechanics. So and will require all new plastic figurines. Uh, well, your old ones will still work in the new oh, okay, one, but good. there, okay, but there good. will be new ones. You're gonna want to do special things in the new game. So, but that's and, the best and part and about it is is, is it's it bringing is. toys back. So toys and video games all together in yeah. one. Yeah, I yeah, I'm I, I'm loving it. It's it's so fun. If you guys don't haven't gotten into it, this is the second year. There was Skylander Spires Adventure, then Giants is the current game. It's a little bit of a money investment, but it is an awful lot of fun. Okay, well, I want to thank you guys for joining me today on the Observation Lounge. Uh, Drew, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, at 005. You can also find me on Trek FM, where I'm the TOS editor. And you can find me on Cinetropolis.net. Very good. And Joey, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at at Joey Trimmer, or you can go to www.joeytrimmer.com and see the latest videos that I've made. Sounds great. Here, there's a sizzle reel there that is. people can check out. It's sizzling like a creeper. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> or bacon. <laughs> and I can be found, of course, here on the Observation Lounge or on the Ready Room, also on Trek FM. Or you can find me on Twitter at Greg Harbin. That's G-R-E-G-H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N. Yes. Okay, well, thank you guys for being with me this week. I will see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Meeting adjourned.